Ecclesiastes chapter 7 this evening. I'm sorry to start off the message with such depressing talk. Verse number 19, we're going to begin reading and we'll read down through the end of the chapter. I'd like to speak to you for a few moments tonight about a discourse on wisdom. The wise man writes, Wisdom strengtheneth the wise more than might ten mighty men which are in the city. For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Also take no heed unto all words that are spoken, lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. For oftentimes also thine own heart knoweth that thou thyself likewise hast cursed others. All this have I proved by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which is far off and exceeding deep, who can find it out? I applied mine heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things and to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness and madness. And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets and her hands as bands. Whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. Behold, this have I found, saith the preacher, counting one by one to find out the account, which yet my soul seeketh, but I find not. One man among a thousand have I found, but a woman among all those have I not found. Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions." We see in the book of Ecclesiastes that the preacher is on a search for wisdom. He has experienced many things and certainly has expressed his disappointment with many of the things that infatuate the hearts of men. He has found those things to be shallow and empty and not to bring the great meaning that he is seeking for in his life. As we come now just past the middle part of the book... We see that the the preacher is coming to a place of understanding that there is something more to life than just what we see and what we observe here. And now at the end of chapter 7, he makes some some miscellaneous, if you will, comments about wisdom. In fact, as we read through this, you might have thought, how does all this fit together? It seems like he's rambling a little bit. He's mentioning these, these things, but how does it all fit together. And I believe tonight, if you'll stay with me, we'll be able to draw these truths together and see exactly what the preacher is expressing. But the main point of this latter part of Ecclesiastes chapter 7 is that wisdom is worth pursuing, but wisdom is very difficult to find, at least in his experience. He's searched for wisdom, but he's found that Wisdom seems to be somewhat elusive. Now he starts off in the first couple verses here making the statement that there is great strength in wisdom. And he uses an analogy in verse 19 when he says, Wisdom strengtheneth the wise more than ten mighty men which are in the city. I don't know if you've noticed in our culture that we as a people tend to be obsessed with strength. 
and especially obsessed with the appearance of strength. And so in our culture, it's very important to seek to be strong, to go to the gym and pump iron, and especially to make sure that you look like you're strong. And so uh, there's a pursuit after that, and there's certainly nothing wrong with being healthy and strong of frame, strong of body, but there seems to be an obsession in our culture where we have placed the physical over that which is spiritual or even mental. And we've exalted something that is simply the appearance, and we've perhaps missed the right assessment. And so the preacher reminds us here that while we may think that strength is the most important thing, there is something that is more important. And certainly in that day, if there was a small city, they would have delighted in having 10 mighty men, 10 men who were strong and mighty in battle who could defend the city, or perhaps 10 men of great authority who could wield their authority. But he says there's something that's more important than this kind of strength. You see, the preacher is found, and he mentions in these verses that wisdom is not as insignificant as it seems. You might think that a wise man is weak, but you would be mistaken, because the truth is that there's great wisdom or great strength in wisdom. Wisdom lends strength, that is, an inner strength to a man. And one of the reasons that wisdom gives strength is because wisdom helps you to avoid situations where strength is needed. In other words, and this is something that some of the older men in the congregation have learned, sometimes it's better to work smarter and not harder. Sometimes it's good to learn the principles of physics, which can overcome the incredible strength that a young man might have. And you'll be surprised that many older men can get just as much, if not more, work done than the young guys because they've learned how to save their back. And so wisdom is not necessarily a lack of strength, but actually wisdom lends itself to a tremendous inner strength. Now, he says something in verse 20, which is indicative of why there's so little wisdom. He says, There is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. And this echoes the sentiment of the principles that we find in the New Testament, specifically in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 23. There is none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And as he looks at the world, he realizes the reason that there's a tremendous lack of wisdom is because men are sinners and men are selfish. Men do not do that which is good, i.e., they do that which is unwise. Because doing evil is the same as doing unwise things. And so he points out that the reason that there's so little wisdom is because we are all sinners. In fact, none of us starts out life in a place of wisdom, and we find that wisdom is often hard-earned in our life. In fact, many times the wisdom that we have gained, 
we have gained on the receiving end of the consequences of unwise behavior. And we've had to learn a lot of things the hard way, even though God has been good to share His truth and His wisdom with us. And the reason for that is because we are stubborn sinners. And we like to have our own way, not realizing that our own way leads us into all sorts of destruction. So we see that the the preacher encourages us with this truth that there is great strength in wisdom. In other words, if we were to say it another way, wisdom is worth getting. So whatever you do, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. Something that you might recognize from the book of Proverbs. But now in verse 21 and 22, he gives us an example of practical wisdom. Perhaps one of those situations where instead of using your strength, you would be better off using your wisdom. And he gives us a viewpoint of something that is all too common in our lives. In verse 21, he says, Also take no heed unto all words that are spoken, lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. What is he saying? Well, he's reminding us that it's not a good thing to always be trying to find out what people are saying. I don't know if this is an indictment against social media, but it might be. You know, it's not always best to hear what everyone is thinking and saying. And especially, it's not always best to be trying to find out what people are saying about you. He says the reason for this, that we should be very careful about trying to listen in. Have you ever listened in on someone's conversation? A little bit of eavesdropping. Oh, they're saying something over there. I can almost hear them. (laughs) Without being too obvious, of course. But what if they're talking about you? And what if the thing that you hear them say about you is not at all flattering. Now what are you going to do? He says, what are you going to do, for instance, if you hear your servant curse you? Now how are you going to feel? So maybe it's not good to eavesdrop. Maybe the reason people are talking quietly is because they don't want you to hear what they're saying. You say, but I have a right to hear what they're saying. Do you? And is that wise to be so nosy as to always be thinking that you need to know everything that everyone is saying and doing and thinking? Well, the wise man informs us that this is not wise at all. Because if you do this, you're bound to hear someone say something that's not nice. You're bound to hear somebody say something that's not flattering to you. And it would be better off if you didn't hear it at all. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it'd be better if you didn't hear it at all. Now tonight, does it bother you that other people might be saying something negative about you? Does it bother you that someone might stand somewhere and talk to one another and say something that is not nice about you? And if you heard somebody say something like that, would you feel obligated to get revenge on them? Or perhaps to set the record straight, to walk in that conversation and say, I'll have you know 
but would that be the right thing to do? Or the wise thing to do? Do you all feel the tension in this passage? I mean, imagine tonight. We're dismissed from the service. You walk out in the foyer, and right there you see Brother Joel and Brother Mike talking, and you specifically hear them say your name. And right away your antenna goes up. What are they saying? <gasps> what? They don't like me? Oh, I did something that hurt their feelings? What? <laughs> so he says, be careful what you're listening to. Be careful that you're not trying to find things out. Now, he sheds a little more light on this in practical wisdom in verse 22. He says, oftentimes thine own heart knoweth that thou thyself likewise hast cursed others. Oh, there's not a one of us that likes to be cursed. There's not a one of us that likes to be talked about negatively. But be honest with yourself and be honest with God. You have said some negative things about other people, haven't you? You've been in conversation with other people and you've said things about someone else that you would hope that they haven't heard. And maybe you've even said some things that you wish you didn't say and you found out later weren't really right and you tried to figure out how to get that taken back. Boy, I wish I wouldn't have said such a thing. So do you suppose if you've done that, that perhaps someone else might say things that they shouldn't have said, that they might regret it? And what is our tendency? Well, when we hear someone talking about us, our tendency is, well, I'm going to fix this. How dare them talk about me? That's not the kind of person I am. It's not right for them to be saying things about me because after all, none of us likes that. And this is an example where wisdom is better than strength. Would you want to use your strength going around squashing every negative thing said about you and getting revenge on those who said it? Or would you rather have the wisdom to tune those things out and not try to hear everyone's opinions about you. He seems to clearly say in this passage that it would be much better for us just to turn the tuner off and not listen for every single thing that people are saying. The truth is, there's going to be people who disagree with you. There's going to be people who don't like you. There's going to be people who maybe your personality rubs them the wrong way. They, they think maybe that you're not the nicest person. They don't, they don't see eye to eye with you on everything. It's going to happen. It's a reality of life. Don't get so bent out of shape about it. A good example for us, just for a moment, if we want to stay on this subject, is Jesus Christ. Did Jesus go around trying to settle every rumor that was said about him and try to set the record straight and make sure everybody thought right? No, he just was who he was. He just spoke the truth and he let people decide what they wanted to decide about him and he went on with, with the ministry that God had given to him. In other words, Jesus exercised tremendous wisdom. And he reminds us that we ought to have this kind of wisdom because, you know, this is like a super strength, actually, this kind of wisdom. The wisdom to not worry about what everybody thinks about you. And so this is a great example. This is an example of how wisdom is better than strength. But then he tells us something, second of all, 
in this passage, that while there is great strength and wisdom, he confesses that he has not really been able to find wisdom. And he goes on in verse 23 to explain that he has failed in his attempt to gain wisdom. He says, all this have I proved by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. Have you ever felt that way about God's wisdom? That you you have a sense that, okay, I know what wisdom is, but boy, it seems like it's out there. It seems like I've got a ways to go. It seems like I haven't really arrived. He says, it's far from me. The idea is it's inaccessible. It's, It's away from him. It's in a place that he can't get to. In verse 24, he describes it as being far off which is similar to far from me, and exceeding deep. The idea is it's so profound. It's it's in a place that is inaccessible. It's, it's, It's beyond his ability to comprehend the wisdom of God is. And then he asks the question, who can find it out? It's impossible to find out the wisdom of God. Now, I want to, I just for a moment want to point out to you that the way he's speaking is of the wisdom of God apart from that which God has revealed. Because clearly God has revealed wisdom, but if you're going to try to find wisdom, if you're going to try to gain wisdom apart from that which God has revealed, you're going to search in vain. You're going to go all over the world looking for the best system, for the best philosophy, just like the wise man did, and you're going to find that wisdom ends up being very elusive. And this is what he found. He, he couldn't quite put his finger on it. He had tried to find out the purpose and the meaning of life and to find the answers that were available, but he was doing so apart from God. And he found that this was less than satisfying and not really so easy to come by. In other words, his, his life was not what he was expecting. He says in verse 25, I applied my heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things. I I tried with all my heart. I gave my whole heart to finding wisdom. I was comparing wisdom. He goes on, I compared wisdom with foolishness and, and I tried to understand why things are the way that they are. But for him, this only seemed to lead to frustration because he saw things that he couldn't figure out. Why are things this way? And I want to point out to you that many people, this is exactly how they're living right now. They're they're searching for wisdom. They're especially trying to understand and make sense of what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of being here? Why why are we here on this earth? And what are we supposed to accomplish? And, And then they look at how things are in the world and they see things that just don't seem to go together. Why are things this way? And it's frustrating. Now he's going to mention some things that are frustrating to him, but I want you to see a little bit of his earnestness in seeking after wisdom. And yet he's falling short. He's failing to find the kind of wisdom that he wants or that he feels that he needs. So he's looking at wisdom, and he searched out the wickedness of folly and foolishness and madness. And then in verse 26, he seems to go off on another tangent. And some have said, what is wrong with this guy? 
He's got a really low view of women. I don't understand what he's trying to say here. Well, I'm going to try to help you make sense of it. But in verse 26, he said, I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets and her hands as bands. Whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. In other words, he has observed in the world a kind of woman that is a snare. She is a deceitful woman, and she has this this wiliness about her where she is seeking to take advantage of others. Now, I don't believe that verse 26 is a broad characterization of the Bible of all women. But perhaps it is indicative of the kind of women that the preacher up to this point had surrounded himself with. And you might, if you go back in his history, you might find that Solomon had brought into his life many different women. The Bible refers to them as strange women. They were women who were brought into his life to make alliances with other nations and and other groups. And and he was married to them and some uh, were, were concubines that he used for other purposes. But he had this, he had this harem of women and he's looking at all of these women and he's saying, all these women want is what they can get from me. And the truth is, all he wanted was what he could get from them. So he finds these women and he describes this bitter woman. In fact, she's so bitter that she's more bitter than death. That's bad. Evidently, there's a kind of woman that you don't want to get anywhere near. And he's describing this woman. Her her heart is snares and nets and her hands are as bands. And as I was thinking about this ensnaring woman... I believe that there is a warning here. Generally, we think that women are compassionate and kind and virtuous, but he had found something different. You see, in the circles he was circulating in, he found a lot of women that were like Delilah. Delilah, who was willing to lay Samson on her lap and seduce him and convince him to share the secrets of his heart so that she could take advantage of him and get the reward from the Philistines. And you young men who are in this room who are unmarried would do well to understand that there are lots of women in the world who Satan would use to take an advantage of you. And you are weak oftentimes. Young men are weak in this area. They think that they're very smart and that they've got the world figured out. And then they get mixed up with women that cause all sorts of problems in their life. And ultimately, this is the snare of Satan, who is trying to take people captive at his will. Now, some have said that verse 26 is not so much representative of a woman as it is of a philosophy. Like in the book of Proverbs, where there is the lady wisdom, and then there is the lady who is characterized by folly, who is calling the travelers to come in. It's a, it's a philosophy or a system of thinking which is used to ensnare men and 
pull them away from the wisdom of God. And so perhaps that's what he has in mind in verse 26. But I will point out to you that the language of verse 26 seems to be quite literal. And the preacher seems to be mentioning that the truth is there are women who will cause tremendous problems in your life if you are so foolish as to be snared by them. And you would do well, young men, to avoid these kind of women. You say, how would I know this kind of woman? Well, generally, if you observe their behavior and you observe their dress, you would find that the Bible characterizes them in a certain kind of way and you would find that it would be helpful to avoid these kind of women. Now, he goes on in verse number 27, and he's going to return to this subject, so hold on. He says, Behold, this have I found, saith the preacher, counting one by one to find out the account, which yet my soul seeketh, but I find not. One man among a thousand have I found. And so I want you to consider for just a moment the rare man. So there is an ensnaring woman. He's warning about this ensnaring woman. Stay away from her. But now he mentions a rare man. The idea of verse 28 and verse 27 together is that the preacher had been looking for a man with wisdom. He went through and he evaluated as he checked with these men and he said, out of all the men that I interviewed, I could find one out of a thousand that was truly a man of wisdom. Now, it could be that he's using hyperbole. The truth is that perhaps even that is too generous of an estimate because, as we will find, wisdom is a rare quality in this world. Few people are truly wise. Many people believe that they're wise, but few people truly have wisdom Because most of us, to hearken back to the thought that he already presented to us earlier in this section, most of us are so caught up in our selfish rebellion that we are are going after our own will and our own way and we're doing our own thing. We don't have time for God's wisdom. And if you're honest with yourself as you look at the world, that's the way that most people are living. And so the preacher said, I looked around and I tallied it up. I counted one by one. I, I, I considered the truth. And what I found was out of a thousand men, all I could find was one. I think today people, businesses that are trying to hire workers might agree with this assessment. I looked and looked and looked and out of all of them, I could find maybe one out of a thousand that had enough character that I wanted to hire. Maybe it's even worse than that. I think that if you pay attention to uh, what is going on in our, in our younger generation, in this world, in our culture, and you start to listen to young people and what their aspirations are and the things they talk about, you'd say, yeah, we're doing good if we get one out of a thousand. But then he returns to that subject about the women again. Notice what he says. I found one man among a thousand, but a woman among all those have I not found. Now again, he seems to have a dim view of the ladies in his life. This could simply be the expression of another cynical viewpoint 
But more likely, what he's expressing in verse 27 and 28 is indicative of the true condition of mankind. The majority of people are not living according to wisdom. The majority of people are doing their own thing and living their own life and they're fooling themselves by thinking that they're incredibly wise and they have life figured out, but the truth is they're fools. And one day it will all be revealed. Now, the contradiction that he, or this this condition that he's describing in these verses is not God's plan. This is not at all what God designed or what God intended for mankind because he says in verse 29, Lo, this only have I found that God hath made man upright. You see, in the beginning when God made man, God gave man a place in his creation and man was made upright by God. When Adam was placed in the Garden of Eden... He was without sin. He was given an esteemed place in the creation of God. He was given tremendous responsibility. He was privileged to fellowship with God. He was given everything that his heart could desire. God met his every need and blessed him in every way. And yet, what did Adam do with the gifts of God? Well, he decided that's not good enough. And this is what he says in verse 29, God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. You see, what we find in the world today is that, like Adam, who was given the opportunity to serve God, but then as soon as he was tempted and given the opportunity to sin, what did Adam do? He ran to sin. He He rebelled against God. He did his own thing. And we can say, boy, Adam, you sure messed things up. But the truth is, you and I, given the same opportunity and put in the same place, would have done exactly the same thing as we have demonstrated in our own lives by going against the command of God and doing the things that we want to do. Now hold your place here in Ecclesiastes 7 and turn with me back to Genesis chapter 6. You all are so quiet tonight, and I hope that's indicative of the fact that you're listening. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, the conditions that God saw on the earth just before he sent a flood to destroy the earth and to judge man are described in this way. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, what do we know about man just before God judged the world by the flood? Well, we find that man was wicked, that his wickedness was great, and we find interestingly enough, that his imaginations of the thoughts of his heart were continually evil. They were only evil continually. And so all that man was doing, and this is, this is a sentence passed upon 
the majority of men because we know that only Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Only Noah and his seven family members were preserved in the flood uh, there in the ark. And so everybody else was, was, was indicted by this sentence that the imaginations of their, their thoughts, the imaginations of their heart were only evil continually. And you say, well, what does this have to do with our condition today? Well, the Bible says that before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he comes back again, it's going to be as it was in the days of Noah. And as we look around the world tonight, what we find is that people are just given over in their imaginations after every evil thing. They're they're given over to all of these evil things and they imagine these things in their mind and then they go and they act these things out and it's all around us in our culture and it's shoved in our face all day long, every single day. And if we sense it, what must God see? Now, go back to our text in Ecclesiastes 7 and understand what he's saying. What he's saying in verse 29 is, it doesn't have to be this way. But the reason that it is this way is not God's fault. God didn't make us this way. Instead, the reason that it is this way is that we, mankind, have sought out many inventions. And what are these inventions? Well, you know, an invention is a creative solution to a problem. And there's all kinds of clever inventions I remember Brother Tom Fryman, who's a pastor friend. He's retired now. He's a friend of my dad's, and I've known him for many years. And Brother Fryman was always coming up with inventions. He was always thinking of things. And then he'd tell me about the, 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 the newest invention that he was thinking about, that he was going to get patented. And I don't think he ever did it, all right? It's, it's a long process to get something patented. But an invention is a creative solution to a problem that people have. So what are these inventions that people are seeking out in verse 29? Well, they're creative solutions to the supposed problems that people have. And what are these supposed problems? We're not happy. We're not satisfied. Uh, we, we want to do the things that our heart wants to do. So we're going to find a way to do it. And today we look at the culture all around us and we find people doing the most outlandish things to get the things that they want. For instance, I saw a picture today, which was evidently on the cover of the latest National Geographic of a transgender individual all made up a man pretending to be a woman who is a traveler and we're supposed to celebrate this person who travels all around the world looking like this and I thought that is the most hideous thing I've ever seen I mean honestly men make terribly ugly women that's the simple truth but then this, this man is trying so hard to pretend to be a woman. Really, it's because there's a spiritual problem and a mental and emotional problem that's deep under that needs to be dealt with. It's a, it's a sad and, and, and sordid thing. But understand that these people and our society at large is saying we need to find inventions for how to give these people the capacity to do the things that will make them happy. But what is it that's going to make them happy? Well, 
it's going to be rebellion against God's design. Rebellion against God's law. It's going to be going off and doing their own thing and living their own life, just like we all have a tendency to do in our lives, don't we? I want this, God, and I'm going to find a way to get it. I'm going to, wait, I'm going to find a way to convince myself that this is actually the right way. It's amazing the ability that we have to deceive ourselves when we really want to do something. We can convince ourselves that anything is God's will. Anything. We can take the scriptures and we can twist them to convince ourselves that we ought to do this or that, even though we know deep in our heart that it's actually not right. But we seek out inventions. And so he comes to the conclusion of chapter 7, and he says there's great strength in wisdom, but honestly, I tried to find wisdom, and I failed. And it's not just him who's failed. He's looking all around him at the culture. He's looking at all the people around him, and he's saying, I'm not the only one who's fallen short. I have, I have failed as well, and they have failed. Where is wisdom? How do we find it? And truthfully, chapter 7 ends on a low note. Chapter 8 will pick up in a more of a positive vein. But I don't want to leave things hanging here in chapter 7 at this point. Because I believe that there is implied in all of this a gospel truth concerning wisdom. And yes, it's true that wisdom is difficult to find. The reason that wisdom is difficult to find is not that God has made it hard to find. But the reason that it's difficult to find is because of the default condition of our heart. Because of our rebellious nature, which doesn't want to hear what God has to say. You see, though this, this chapter leaves us with little hope of a difference, the balance of Scripture says something much more positive. The truth is that man has no chance of developing wisdom on his own. Left to ourselves, apart from God's revelation and what God has told us about ourselves and himself and this world, man never would be able to find wisdom. Man never would be able to improve his lot to become better in the eyes of God. Man never would be able to be redeemed in the eyes of a holy God. But the truth is tonight that wisdom can only be found with the Lord. And the book of Proverbs tells us clearly that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is in the fear of the Lord that we come to the place where we realize that our way is not the best way. That God actually knows what he's talking about. That living God's way is going to bring us satisfaction and happiness and joy and pleasure like nothing that we will ever experience living in our own path. Now, I know the Bible says that there is pleasure in sin for a season, but understand what it means when it says pleasure in sin for a season is it's for a season. And what we also know from the Bible is that after that season is over, there is a lot of pain that comes from sin. So really, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. And tonight, our position ought to be, Lord, I need your wisdom. I want to stand in fear of you. And that's the conclusion the wise man comes to here in the book of Ecclesiastes later on. But I also know, and this is the gospel truth concerning wisdom, that Jesus is made wisdom to us. The truth is, in and of ourselves, you and I have no wisdom. We have no capacity to please God. 
<clears throat> we really have no capacity to live a life which will bring satisfaction or joy. Left to ourselves, all that we can ever do is bring ruin and sadness and destruction and the consequences of sin upon ourselves. But God has been so good to give us Jesus. And the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us that Jesus is made unto us, the very first thing that it says is, He's made unto us wisdom. Wisdom is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is everything that we need to live a life of wisdom which honors God. Tonight, if you're trying to find wisdom, you're trying to find meaning for life, you're trying to figure out what all this is about, you're going to find your answer in the person of Jesus Christ. You're going to search in vain everywhere else for some kind of an answer. And then when you finally come to Jesus, you'll realize that he was there all the time. The answer was always there. The reason that we don't go to Jesus first is because we don't like that answer. We're we're determined to find a better answer. We, We think we can figure out something better for ourselves. But I'm telling you that many people have done this. They've 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 searched it out. And at the end, they come to the place where they say Jesus was the the way all along. Jesus was exactly what I was looking for. And I've heard them say it over and over again. I only wish that I would have come to him sooner. I only wish that I hadn't put him off for so long. Tonight, if you've never come to Jesus, why not come to him? You'll find in Jesus everything that your soul desires. You'll find all the things that the preacher was looking for you'll probably even find that there's a whole group of women that are much better than the ones he's describing in this passage. Praise God for that. Thank you, ladies, for not being like this, all right? I think when we come to Christ, it causes us to see life without that jaded perspective. We see things through the lens of the blessing of God. We see life through the promises of God, and we come away and say, God has been so good to me. The wise man certainly found something about wisdom, something worth sharing, something worth considering. And tonight, I hope that you've found Jesus. And if you haven't, I hope you'll start searching for him because he's the answer for everything that you're looking for.